As Brandon was sharing about the Avengers, I don't know if you have noticed, but I've been really working out, and if I were to paint my body green, I'd just look like the Hulk, all right? So, so when you go there, just think of me when you see that uh, particular uh, movie. Many of you are going to be really scared the whole, whole service thinking what that would look like if I took my shirt off. But anyway, uh, this morning we're going to be talking about uh, the end of the week, and most of us are familiar with the acronym TGIF, which says, thank God it's... Friday, and whether you, some of us uh, work various days of the week and various hours of the week, but uh, basically that acronym is is a statement of, we're so glad our work week is over, now we have a little free time, we can relax, we can do the things we really want. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about, uh, not TGIF, but we're going to be looking at particularly when God decided to rest. This morning, uh, we're going to be rushing through some things um, as we think about God's story for us. And I want to put it this way, uh, in terms of just making it simple, and then we'll look at some of the details, is as we check it out this morning, what God has said to us, we're going to look at God and creation, and then we're going to look at man and creation. We've already uh, gone through that first chapter. We've spent a number of different weeks there as God kind of outlines his entire story of bringing it all into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as we think about that, what God did in the first three days, uh, he, he uh, formed it. It was not complete. It was in uh, good shape, but it wasn't complete. And he made it livable. In the next three days, he filled it up. Whether it was the skies or on, on the earth, he, he uh, made that, this place inhabitable, and then he inhabited it with people and with, with animals and, and, and life. Uh, but what God does then in his origin of uh, letting us know about his story after he gives kind of the overview in, first, in the first chapter, he goes back in the second chapter and he looks at the things he wants to emphasize. And really, when you think of the story of the Bible, it's all about God and it's all about the highest level of his creation, which is, which is man. And we're going to see that beginning this morning. And then, uh, Lord willing, we might uh, finish that off uh, either next Lord's Day or the day after that as we look at God's plan for us. But God wants us to understand what he was all about, and then he wants us to understand what we are to be all about. As we look at God and creation, there's three things we're going to emphasize this morning. We'll look at the text in just a moment. But we're going to look at what God did. He, he finished his work, uh, then he rested, and then he blessed it. So we're going to look at God finishing, God resting, and God blessing. And we'll see some things in between there. And then we're going to look at man and creation. Then we're going to look at man initially being put in a perfect place. And then God giving us a choice. And when you think about life, life really is, is filled with choices. And who you are today is really based on the choices you've made in the past, the choices you're making right now, and what you will be will be the choices you make in the future. But we'll look at the most important choice that every person has to make. And if you already made that choice, then you need to remake that choice on a daily basis in your relationship with the supreme being, God, who created all things. Well, let's look at it this morning, uh, God and creation, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and just to get the, the blood flowing, let's stand one more time, and let's read this passage together, just to honor God's word. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, let's read it together. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because it, in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. You may be seated, unless you prefer to stand the entire service. All right. Uh, in this week, we see God 
going back and uh, reviewing some of the things he has already said. And we all know that sometimes we can't hear things just once. We need to hear it a little bit more than once, twice, three times, four times, many times. And so we really get it. And, and so he identified very clearly and plainly uh, how this all came into being. But not only did he, did he emphasize that, he wanted to let us know that when he made it, he finished it. And so that's the first thing we want to look at. And it's, it's really found in that very first a phrase of that passage. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were, and you can circle that word in your outline this morning, and on that passage, it, they were finished. When God starts a job, he doesn't just begin it, he finishes it. And really, you think about life, we've all started certain projects, and, and, and the frustrating thing, sometimes we never get around to actually, what? Finishing them. And so as we think about God beginning everything that we see, we need to recognize he just didn't start it. He finished it. In fact, he actually gave himself a grade. He said it was good. And then at the last verse in chapter 1, he said it was very good. But as we think about that, obviously there are people out there who don't believe that not only he did that he finished it, but that he even started it. That somehow this planet is still changing and developing and progressing in a way uh, that things will be better naturally rather than supernaturally. Well, we need to recognize from the very beginning, God wanted us to know that he started it, but he also finished it. And when he finished it, there was nothing left to be done. There weren't more things that needed to be tweaked to be made better. What it needed to be was to be remain the same in terms of what he had brought into existence. So that's the idea of God finishing it. And as we think about that, the alternative of God starting in it and finishing it completely and, and being good and very good doesn't fit with how we look at um, our world today and how it functions. Now, we're going to be looking at a couple things here. I, I want to emphasize that he did it, not someone else did it, or not a natural force doing it. And, and there's a number of reasons why we can believe that. Now, I'm not a scientist or a son of a scientist, though I have a brother who's a scientist, but we're going to look at a couple of laws of, uh, of, of nature or scientific laws. We've probably all heard the laws of uh, thermodynamics. How, how many have ever heard that? The first law of thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics. How many know how many laws there actually are? There are actually four. The first one actually starts with zero. They call it the zero law of thermodynamics, then the first and the second and the third. But we're going to look at a couple this morning that really focuses on believing that, that there had to be someone, something else that started it and maintains it. And, and that's so important because actually in this first passage, the same word for finished is used two other times. When it says he ended it, that's finished it. When he ended it, he finished it. And even when Jesus went to the cross, one of the last words that Jesus used in reference to himself and the work he did on the cross in John 19.30, when he went to the cross to die for our sins, he said, it is what? Finished. What God starts, he finishes. Now, we can mess up some of the things that he's got to redo some of the things that we mess up, but what he does, he does completely. Now, what I want to do is give you a couple reasons to believe that a supernatural being brought this into existence. And this is going to get a little heavy to begin with, but then it will, I'll try to make it very clear for all of us. What is the first law of thermodynamics? Uh, not from a Christian author. Uh, the definition of that is, neither matter nor energy can be destroyed. In a closed system, our universe, the sum of all energy always remains constant. Which basically is saying this, is that there's, if we believe that there is 
what, what, what is our universe is all that is. Our universe is a system in which there's nothing beyond it. And if you don't believe in God, you don't believe there's anything outside of that universe. And as we look at energy, energy remains, um, remains constant. In fact, if you want to use a word for first law of thermodynamics, basically I have the idea is conservation. It, there's the conservation of energy. Uh, there's nothing outside that puts more energy into the system, and there's nowhere to go outside the system for that energy to go. Energy remains the same. Now, when you look at that, then you say, okay, if that's true, and that's what scientists say in terms of observing our, uh, our world today, our universe today, that the energy remains constant. No one brought it in from outside of it because there's nothing outside of it, and there's no place for that to go, so it can't go anywhere. Our energy remains constant. And so then you say, okay, if that is true, then where was the energy to put everything in the place that we see? How does, how does something happen if there's no energy to make it to happen? For instance, let me, let me make a simple illustration of that. When, when I go to the kitchen and Alice is in the kitchen, and let's say there's all kinds of things out there on the table. There's all kinds of food items, and I'd say what they were, but I don't know what they are. And she was, she was making, in fact, this weekend, a, a pasta salad. And there was all kinds of green things and red things and yellow things and squiggly things and whatever like that. And, and she was putting together this pasta salad. Now, for that pasta salad to now be formed, what happens, and this is actually for free here, because... For, for a pasta salad to happen, you have to have some intelligence to know to put it together. Sometimes when people come to my house and they're, they're liking what they're eating, I say, guess who made that? And they go, not you. <laughs> and, and why do they say that? Because they know I don't have the intelligence to put that together. I mean, that's, that's just... Some of you didn't wrestle with that idea at all. But I mean, I, it really is. I mean, I have no clue as far as how to put that together. So if there isn't any intelligence, if all those things are on the table, in other words, matters there, all the, all the things that are needed to create a, a pasta salad, if there is no intelligent being in there, it's not going to happen. If I'm just in the kitchen, it's not happening. But there's something else that needs to happen. It, let, let's say Alice is in there, and uh, she knows how to do it. All the elements are there. But she is just exhausted. She, she is just so tired. She can hardly keep her eyes open. She's just drained. She has no energy left. And, and um, I don't know if you've ever gotten that point sometimes where you, you always think you have some energy left. But there's sometimes in my life where I've, I, I'm, I'm totally done. I can't, I, can't, I can't do anything more. I mean, it's just, and I have, I've got to sleep. I've, I don't even like to sleep. But sometimes I got that point where, you know, you just you can't do anything more. Well, even though she has the intelligence to put it together, and even all the elements are there, if she doesn't have the energy, that pasta salad is not going to be made. And so as we look at the first law of thermodynamics, if there isn't any new energy coming in, and, and, and then there's no extra energy to put things together. So you ask yourself, well, where did that energy come from? Well, there's two alternatives. One alternative is that believe there was an outside energy, that being God, who had the energy, the power, to put things together. And if you look at Genesis chapter 1, what Genesis does, it does two things. It says that God created, and he also made things. He did two types of things. One, he brought things into existence. But once they were into existence, then he would form them into the things that we have, whether it be plants or animals or, or even mankind. He took us from the dust of the, of the, of the earth. And so there's things he created and there are things he was made. But if, he, if there wasn't any energy for that to happen, it would just be on the plate. It would just be on the table. 
So that's one reason to believe that there had to be some outside source energy to put the things into existence that were if matter was eternal. But you could argue with that and say, well, I, I, I don't know about that. How about if the energy, how about if the universe itself had the type of energy within its system to put things together? In other words, it's a perpetual motion machine. It, it just, it just, it runs on itself. It just, it just does it. Well, that backs into the second law, the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics is this. Systems or things go from a state of order to disorder. Energy, interesting, there's another side like this. Energy becomes less useful as it changes. And we see that all the time. At your home, do things naturally get better or do they get worse? They get worse all the time. I got home last night. We were doing a bunch of stuff. In fact, talking about finish, I was going to use this as an illustration. I have a band here. That doesn't mean I was just in the hospital recently. But our family has just, particularly Alice and I, we have just finished 16 consecutive years of paying for school, college, universities over the, over the last 16 years. Isn't that great? Matt graduated yesterday, so that was great. That, that clapping's for us. 16 years of paying bills. It's all, okay, so, uh, not quite finished yet, but anyway, 16 years on that. There comes a place where you actually finish something. But see, the thing with the, uh, the second law of thermodynamics is things go from a state of order to disorder. What, what, why did I say that? Here's the reason I said it. I got home, I think, I can relax now. And then I went out to water plant, and I, and I saw one of uh, my uh, water pipes, and there was something coming out of it. And it was water, okay? It's, it's, you know, if you, if you buy a home that was built in 69 and you have PVC pipes that putting, you know, things into your house, into your yard with water, those pipes have a tendency not to get better, but to get what? To get worse. And you, it wouldn't it be nice if, if we had a, a perpetual motion machine within our homes or wherever we are uh, in our cars, just heard Patsy, their starter went out. It, why didn't it just fix on its own? I mean, just make that part of the whole aspect of buying a car that the starters when they get bad they just get better naturally well it doesn't happen that way and as we think about that there isn't a perpetual motion machine that brings things into existence or sustains them or maintains them now let's forget the pasta salad for a moment all right and i might be over my head with this illustration as well in the kitchen but let's say now we're making a a bowl of soup all right or a pot of soup is that what you put it in when you put it on the stove, a pot? Okay, so it's a pot of soup. You put all the elements in there. Okay, you had the intelligence, you had to put there, you had to have the know-how to get there, and you, you put the energy on, and uh, it, it's, it's getting heated up, whatever like that. If you turn the heat off, does that pot of soup continue to be warm? No, the energy that went from in the heated pot dissipates and leaves that, that um, pot of soup. It, it, there has to be energy given into that or it does not maintain its heat. It, you could also say this. Let's say you maintain the heat, but it's that type of soup you have to stir. Isn't there some soup you have to stir? It, it messes up? Okay. Again, intelligence here. Intelligence. Okay. Well, you know, if, if some source does not come to, to stir the soup, it doesn't remain mixed in the, in the type of way it's going to taste good when people partake of the soup. And see, things go from a state of order to disorder. If you're not putting something into the system, it will not happen naturally. Things go from a state of order to disorder. 
You know, the whole aging process. You know, we don't, you know, we, we're going to, as soon as, you be, as soon as you're born, you begin to what? You begin to die. Okay? There, there is a place where you mature, but there, but there are other things in your life that are just breaking down. And if that's true, in every part that we see, we, as we look at the universe, it, it just pushes us to the point. There's got to be, and not only an intelligent source that brought it all into existence, but there has to be a source of energy that made it and then sustains it. And so as we look at God finishing his work, when he had made it, it was perfect until we messed it up. But let's look at God's response to his creation. He not only finished it, he also um, rested after he did it. It said, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Now, as we think about that, what's so special to remind ourselves about God resting? And even we could ask ourselves the question, why did he rest? Because when we rest, normally we rest because we are what? We are tired. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, says this about God and every other... There's so many passages of Scripture to talk about this as well. Have you not known, have you not heard, uh, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So God rested. What do we know about God? And, and, And let me just say this this morning as well. Whenever you study the Bible or whenever you hear someone preach or teach the Bible, there's basically two things you want to get. What can I learn more about God and what can I learn more about myself in terms of what I ought to do? And so the more we know about God, the more we're going to be able to love him, know him, obey him, serve him, follow him. And we need to know that, that we don't serve a God that gets tired. He, he, he doesn't get weary. So then you say, well, if, if he doesn't get weary, he doesn't get tired, then why did he rest after he finished creation? Well, there's another reason sometimes that we rest, and sometimes it's just to take a step back and admire, appreciate what we have or what someone else has, what, done. Isn't that true? Sometimes we'll say, you know, slow down and be sure to smell the roses. There needs to be a place at times when we take a step back and we see what we truly appreciate. And that's many times why God wants us to rest, not only to renew ourselves. And it's interesting, probably in, in Adam and Eve's day, they might not have necessarily got really tired either. But he wanted them to stop and to rest so they could appreciate what, what had been done. And so as we think about it, we're going to see this a little bit later on in the message, is there's a place for us to rest even beyond being uh, tired or weary. We, we need to slow down. We need to, to look at things and appreciate them. And I really don't like this point because that's, that's just not my natural bent. Okay, that, I, you know, I, I, one project's done, I'm thinking about the next project. And I'm just going, going, going. But many times then I, I don't stop and see what God wants me to see. And so God rested and he wanted that to be a principle as well. And, and that's really the second point I want. He was enjoying his creation. It, it, it's interesting even the idea of tiring, I remember talking to someone just, actually it was, it was on a vacation, and they were trying to make the distinction, what's the difference between being sleepy and tired? And we argued back and forth, not that I would ever argue with people, but they were, we were arguing back and forth, you know, which, how, how that really ought to work. But, but let, let's take for the moment that, that um, this analogy, and this is, this is the idea of recognizing that sometimes in our life, if, if, if we can see something or offered something that's special, even when we think we are tired, we, we can become refreshed. 
Uh, have you ever been in a place where you were so tired and you just wanted to, to kick back and do nothing, then all of a sudden someone offered you something to do and all of a sudden you got energized? Or, or, or maybe you, you, we asked this in our small groups last week, are you more a morning person or a, uh, or a night person, you know, a night owl or early bird? And in our family, when, we were, when uh, my kids were growing up, is uh, all of them were night owls and none of them were early birds, except something happened, particularly in, in my youngest son's life, uh, Matt. All of a sudden, he began to be fascinated with the sport of surfing. I mean, just, he just loves surfing. You know, it's amazing to me. He can be beat tired, but if someone says, hey, you want to go surfing tomorrow? Man, he just gets energized. Why? Because it's something of beauty to him. It's something that, that, that just uh, gives him energy. It's something that just makes his, his world better because he just loves being on, on, in the ocean and, and riding away. And as we think about life, sometimes when we are beat tired, all we need to do is begin to stop and to think and reflect on that which will give us energy, what we can really, really appreciate. And, of course, that happens in other, area, other areas as well. Have you ever come to the point, I'm so stuffed, I can't, I can't eat one more thing? And then someone said, hey, you want some ice cream? Oh, yeah, I'll have some ice cream. You know? <laughs> it's, it's amazing how some things you put into your system will change. But what God is saying, hey, I'm offering all of this for you to enjoy and to enjoy completely and fully. And, and when we talk about resting, it's the idea of refreshing and enjoying what God has made and what he offers for us. God finished the work. He rested from the work. And then thirdly, he blessed the work. It's interesting that he would bless what he has created. But what he blessed in his created, he blessed it as much for our sake as for anyone else. We're not going to look at the other passages because of time this morning. But it's interesting. As we look at what God did, he set aside a day for us to focus on what has been made and what he has done for us. And as we think about that, you know, we have a TGIF idea. Thank God it's Friday. But we could could change that acronym in a couple different ways. We could have TGIS. Thank God it's Saturday. And TGIS, thank God it's Sunday. Because there, there are two days which, which he wants us to commemorate. And it's not so much, particularly whether it's the last day of the week or the first day of the week. And we find that from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where he, he said, don't, don't let people push you into a place where, where for, to observe a particular type Sabbath day. And, and let me just throw out this for interesting. The, the word Sabbath actually means rest. That's what the word means. It's both a verb and a noun. But... What he wants us to do is, uh, you know, pick a day a week that we praise him for his creation, and then as we look at what he did on, on Resurrection Sunday, that we praise him for his resurrection. See, ev- every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And the reason that the early church went from, and they were mostly Jewish at that time, went from worshiping on Saturday to worship on Sunday because they wanted to m- commemorate the resurrection and recognize this was the finished work that would change their life forever. But we should also be people who, who take time to thank God and praise God for what he has made. And so we have a couple opportunities to do that throughout the week, is remember what he has made, created, and then also remember his new creation, which found, is found in Jesus Christ. But, but listen, that's, that's the God of creation. He finishes his work, he rests 
give us a model or example of joining what he has made and being refreshed. He blesses a day, and he blesses that day, and he also says in that text that he sanctifies us, which sets it apart, so we ought to make it a priority to be a people that, that worship him for what he has made and then for what his son has done. But what I want to do the rest of our time together before we participate in communion is look at man and creation. And, and really in Genesis chapter 2, the focus now becomes... That's what God has done. And now what is he requiring of us? But let's look at verse 4 a little bit and look at the, the place that he has made. Verse, uh, verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the, the earth and the heavens. And I, it's, it's hard for me to resist this temptation. You see the Lord God there? What, what, uh, what Moses does here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is he puts both the... the, the the creative uh, name for God, which is Elohim, and the personal name of God, Yahweh, together. And it's Yahweh Elohim. He's, he's talking about the redemptive God, the God of revelation, the self-existent one, as well as the created, the, the creator. And so he's, he's magnifying the supreme being who brought all things into existence. In the, in the day that the Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist up from the ground, and watered the whole face of the ground. Which, which speaks again how the scripture is connected. It, it never rained until the days of Noah. God had a different way. The hydrological system was completely different when he had made everything perfect, and he had finished his work. Verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Uh, this past week, one of the small groups asked, Is there, do, do animals have a, have a soul? Animals are living beings. Uh, but they, if, here gets the idea of almost plain semantics. If, if, if by the question you mean, are they different than a plant you know, a flower, a tree, the answer to that is yes. They, they are living beings. But they are not created in the image of God. They, they don't uh, appear to have an, an eternal soul or spirit that will spend eternity with a living God. And it's interesting, even as you see that they, how the animals are created and how even man is created. When the animals were created, they were created in mass. It probably wasn't just, you know, two dogs that were made and two cats and you know, two elephants or whatever. There were a huge amount of animals that were created at the same time. But when man um, was created, he was created individually. And when woman was created, she was created individually. There was a special creation of man and woman. And in there, there was a particular design where we uniquely were created in the image of God to have the capacities we looked at last week to uh, have personal awareness, moral awareness, and even more so, spiritual awareness. Uh, I know of no animal that is asking the question, what must I do to be saved? How can I deal with my sin? How, how can I get right with God? They weren't, they weren't made in that way. And so they don't have that living soul or spirit as we do. Uh, though they are, they are beings, they, but they do not have the, the, the stamp and identity of the image of God in their life. So for some of you, if, if you're hoping to find your pet in heaven, uh, read somebody else's book rather than mine. Okay, so, um, 
but I haven't read a book. I haven't written a book, so anyway, you don't have to read mine. But I, I, I would, I would, I would not, I would not stake your hope of joy in heaven that your pet's going to be there. And I, 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 I hate to say that, but I don't think they have that eternal soul and spirit that man has. And, and sometimes Christians are not are just like everybody else. We have wishful thinking, all right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that's what's true. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be filled with joy. Now, God might create and have other animal life there, but I don't think it's going to be Rover, okay? I don't think he's going to be there. Verse 8. <laughs> kinder and gentler. I've got to remember that. Kinder and gentler. All right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> let's look at the place God has made. All right. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And, he, and out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight and good for, and good, pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became the four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land, Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. Bedellum and onyx stone are good, are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hittakel, as is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, to tend and to keep it. And we'll just stop there for that moment. Uh, some people ask me, well, where do you think uh, Eden was or paradise was uh, that God created for, for uh, Adam and Eve? And my answer is, I have no idea. Okay? Uh, there have been those who have been trying to distinguish where it is. Some people it might believe it's somewhere in the Middle East area. It may or may not be there or had been there. When the flood came, every part of the, kind of the geographical things that we have identified with that probably does not give us a point of identity. But what we do know about that place is that it was a perfect place for mankind. It's interesting, the word for Eden actually means delight. It was a place of delight. You know, we have a place down the freeway from us, Anaheim, which is the happiest place in the world, which is what? Disneyland. By no comparison, all right? Eden was the happiest place in the world. It was a perfect place. And just think about what would what would our life be like if you know pipes didn't burst out and water dripping in the middle of the night, right? What would be nice if every time we started a car, it always started, and we didn't have to take it in to get repair? What would it be like if if our bodies didn't ache when we got up in the morning? And and you know what a tragic thing this past week when uh, you know a great football player uh, who seemed to have life still to its fullest, and whether it was because of a brain injury or just depression. You know, he took his life. And you know, others in, in this church family know of ones that either attempted to take their life or they took their life. And, and why does that happen? Because there's something in life that's just causing them so much pain and frustration. And, and yet that first lives that God created as Adam and Eve, they had a perfect environment. They had connection with the true God. And God decided to test their love. And he gave them a very, very simple choice. And that's what we see in the next two verses. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Die. They had every, every tree in the garden of delight, that place of paradise, everything to enjoy. And they had only one single choice to make. Just don't eat of that tree. Don't try to experience that. Now, I don't know if you're like me at all, but when I think about that, I probably make most of my mistakes when life gets complicated, when, 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 when there's too many choices to make, when I'm, when I'm frustrated and I'm thinking in my environment and I'm overly you know, tired or whatever it might be, then all of a sudden I just get whipped up in a, you know, an emotional whatever and I just start making random choices. But I mean, they were in a perfect environment. They only, had to, they only had to make sure they didn't check that box. Every other box they could check for life and living it to its fullest, but just don't go there. You know, it's, it's interesting when, um, when we kind of compare ourselves with others and sometimes, I, if I'd been there, I wouldn't have made that choice. But why did they make that choice? They made that choice because they face the same thing that we face every time we reflect on the choices that we make that are clearly identified by God as either what he wants or what he doesn't want. I've said this many times in his sources. When it gets down to why do we do what we do, we do what we do because that's what we want to do. When I go, that's what I, that's what I wanted to do at that time. Now, I could give all kinds of excuses or rationalizations about, you know, well, what, what made you want to do it at that time. It could be, well, I thought that would help that person or that one. But whatever, whatever I did at that time, I did that because that's what I wanted to do. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they did that because at that point, they made the choice to do what they wanted to do rather than what God wanted them to do. But then if you back up the truck a little bit further, you said, well, why did they want to do that rather than what God wanted them to do? And it was very simple. It was not complicated. I'm convinced because it so resonates with how I live and, and the wrestling I do and then at the point of being honest, brutally honest with myself. Because at that point, I don't believe God knows best. I believe at that point, what? I know best. Well, <laughs> he, he can't. He can't, really, he can't really believe that if I partake of that, my life's going to be worse. I mean, knowledge, knowledge is good. It's, it's always good to know about things. How, how, can, how can you know what's right and wrong unless you've experimented a little bit, unless you've tried it, unless you've tested it? I, I remember um, in the olden days when I was youth ministry, uh, I was, in, I was in charge of the high school college ministry, and we had a guy that was involved in junior high ministry. And actually, he was my intern at that, at, at, at that uh, moment. And we had a, we had a gal in our, in our youth group, and uh, she was part of a church family. She was involved all the time, but uh, she was one that struggled with participating in drugs and things. And it was interesting. She, she'd come to, uh, to me, and, and I'd, I'd counsel her about how you know, drugs are going to mess your life up. And her response back to me, well, the, 
I, I, really, I really don't know if I can listen to you because you've never tried drugs. Then, then, he'd go, then she'd go to uh, my intern, John, and, he, and uh, she talked to her uh, about the drugs, and he, and he would say, you shouldn't go that way because I've tried them and it messes you up. He said, why should I listen to you? Because you've tried and I've never tried it. You've experimented. I want to experience it too, you know. No matter which way it was, whether she talked to a person who had tried the drugs or the person who had, she always had excuses about doing what she wanted to do. So I, I, I don't know what you're facing this week. I don't know what you're facing today, but there are just choices you're going to have to make. And, and the choices you're going to make will have to be decided about, are you going to do simply what you think is right or what you, think, or what you believe God says is right? Are you going to trust that God knows what he's saying or are you going to think that you know a little bit more than God knows? See, at this point, there was a choice. We have many choices that we make throughout the day and throughout the week, but we have to choose once and for all. Are we going to get trust that God knows best or that we know best? Now, the choice is to decide whether you're going to trust God and trust that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that you could Know him and know him forever. In a moment, we're going to partake of the, the cup and the bread. And, and this, this is a symbol of the cross. That when Jesus went to the cross and he, and he died on that, that, that wooden beam, that he died in your place. He, he took the penalty you deserved and I deserved because of my sin and my rebellion against God. And I either believe that Jesus really was God in the flesh who died on my behalf and rose again so that I could be forgiven and know him personally, or I don't believe it. Or, or like some foolish people say, well, I, I, I believe it, but I'm going to put that off for later when I've experienced more about life. And then, then, I'll, then I'll come back to him. You've got to make the choice. And if you've already made that choice, then you have to say, every day, am I going to reaffirm that choice and say, I'm, I'm not going to go my way, I'm going to go God's way. I'm not going to go the world's way, I'm going to go God's way. And, and we'll mess up, but we say, God, by, by all my heart and with all my desire, I want to put you first. I want to make that choice today. Joshua, Joshua said as he was finishing up his work, he said, I want everyone to know that on this day, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the reason he did that was not because he was any better than anybody else, but he had decided that God knew best, and he wanted God's best for him and for his household. Let's pray. Father, for some it's the end of the week, and for some it's the beginning of the week. But Father, this is a reminder that that we have a choice to make on a daily basis. But on this day, what are we choosing? Are we choosing to put you as the most important person in our life? Are we choosing to believe that you are the Lord and Savior and we want you to be the Lord and Savior of our life? Are we choosing when we partake of the bread and the cup that even though we have sinned, we confess that sin to you and we desire above all else you might empower us not to commit that sin sin again. Father, you want us to come to you as the creator God, as well as the one who came to, to bring us back to you through your son. As we continue to worship you this morning, might we make the choice to believe that you know what is best 
and we choose what you want rather than what we want. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.